Hello and welcome to What the Focaccio with me, Bettina Campolucci-Bordi. And me, Nikki Webster. Our podcast is all about sharing our passion for the things we eat, good food and the people behind it. We are delighted to announce that this season is sponsored by Stonely Wines. Their premium wines come all the way from Marlborough, New Zealand. It is made from 100% sustainably sourced grapes and are vegan certified. And we have a unique discount code for our listeners. You can get 20% off Stonely Sauvignon Blanc exclusively on Amazon using the code STONELY20. Today we're going to be chatting to James. James Golding is the chef director of the Pig Hotels, a collection of boutique hotels with a strong emphasis on locally sourced seasonal food. James has a passion for sustainable and ethical food practices and is committed to reducing waste in the kitchen. He's worked in some of the most prestigious restaurants in the UK and abroad, including Le Caprice and the Ivy in London, and has won numerous awards throughout his career. James is also a keen advocate for outdoor cooking and loves to work with open fires and wood ovens. He's a frequent speaker at food festivals and events, sharing his knowledge and expertise on sustainable cooking and sourcing local ingredients. Hi, James. How are you? We are so excited to have you here. How have you been? I'm really good, Bettina. Thanks for having me on. It's um, it's it's really nice to be here, and uh, I'm so happy because the sun's out. So. It is. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, really, good, really good to meet you. So, for those who don't know you, would you um, be able to give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself, what you're all about, your passion for cooking, anything you fancy? So, I'm James Golding. I'm group chef director for the Pig Hotels, and um, basically, I look after everything food. Um, related uh, across all eight sites and we're a group of um, sustainably focused hotels along the south coast and I'm all about good food local produce and sustainability so that's that's what I oh and I'm also um, I'm also chair for the Royal Academy Sustainability Committee so I work with those guys going into schools and educating kids on healthy eating and 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 uh, uh, the importance of of a healthy diet as well as um, trying to help the Royal Academy um, organization on on their sustainability program. That is um, that's amazing. Um, yeah. I absolutely love that. Um, how how did everything start for you? Where did your passion for cooking start, and when did you start cooking for for a living? Yeah, so I mean, I I grew up here in Christchurch, so I've actually moved back to where I originally grew up, and um, I suppose my my passion probably came from my family I mean my my parents did kind of split up when I was younger but when when you know you're growing up um I suppose you're heavily influenced by food at least I was so my my mother's side of the family is is Italian and my dad's side is sort of very British so um on my mother's side we did things like making pasta and making pizzas and you know constantly being told by my nonna what I shouldn't shouldn't be eating and um, on, on my dad's side, it was things like your classic pork pies and, you know, sort of the British version of macaroni cheese and roast chicken and fish on Fridays and all that sort of thing. But we did kind of have a, a, a rule in our house that if we wanted to play on the Sega Mega Drive or actually have any kind of kiddie fun, we had to help with cooking dinner, which I think back then felt kind of a chore. But looking on it now, I think that really sort of you know got my interest in food going so my dad used to take us out 
um, foraging when we were kids. So we go out into the New Forest, which was near where we lived in, in New Milton, and we go looking for mushrooms and all that sort of fun stuff. We're still alive now, so we must have got it right. And, um, yeah. and and basically moving on from that, when I got to sort of 16 or 15, actually, I, I thought to myself, yeah, what am I going to do? And I'm heavily dyslexic. And, and most of us that are heavily dyslexic tend to have a pretty rough time at school. And I was no different. So when, when it was kind of, what are you going to do for a living? You know, when it came to the crunch, my dad took me to a, uh, one of these sort of college, um, what's it called? Sort of fairs you know open, where, day? Yeah, open days yeah you know everybody was there obviously <laughs> had army air force you know all that sort of stuff was there and I just remember turning a corner and seeing this guy in this big tall white hat and a long apron basically talking about um something called the specialized chef program and um hmm. it's it was run by the royal academy which obviously now I'm heavily involved in and uh it was it was a course run for kids aged from 16 to 18 who wanted to basically get into uh, the, the hospitality industry and um, you were placed into very well-known hotels and restaurants. So um, there are lots of people involved, the Connell, Savoy, Rue Brothers, you know, all these amazing sort of people that were making big names themselves back in the day. And, um, and, and I sort of said to my dad, you know, you can actually make money from cooking. I mean, I don't know why I thought that was such a light bulb moment, but at the time it was just something that I did and not something that, I'd ever really considered making a career out of. And, um, yeah, we took all the information, went home and um, decided I wanted to, wanted to apply. But back in those days, it was quite hard to get on the course because it was actually a scholarship. So, so you end up, um, the, the, the placement pays for everything for your, you know, your, your school um, educational bits, some of your, um, uh, you know, living expenses and all that sort of stuff. So we were able to, apply I got on the course I was one of 12 out of about 250 people that applied wow. and um I was sent to the Savoy in London for three and a Amazing. half years yeah so I've you know I've, I've worked for uh obviously Anton Adam at the Savoy I then went to work for Mark Hicks I worked at Le Caprice and Sheikis and then I got um employed out in New York I was head chef at Soho House New York I did the Oscar party in LA and then basically met a guy called Robin Hudson who was doing some really cool things over here uh had a property that um had this amazing wall kitchen garden used to be owned by the royal family you know focusing on uh you know how the house would have run back in the day and ended up starting the pig with those guys and you know I think we're 13 years on eight sites having a lot of fun wow that's so impressive yeah that is amazing (laughs) so when so I mean you were clearly young when you first went into the kitchen did it feel daunting or were you just too young to think about it massively I mean when I when I started at Savoy at 16 there was 136 chefs in that kitchen I mean I don't know a kitchen now in London that has that amount of chefs anymore I mean it was really one of those really kind of traditional kitchens where you know the whole place was split, split into the separate sections which I mean you know thinking about now each section that they had there is probably the same size as one of our kitchens at the pig. So you have potage, hot fish, sauce, veg, roast, grill, larder, butchery, wow. cold fish, pastry, banqueting. You know, it was, it was insane. And it's, yeah, I mean, it, it was one of Escoffier's original kitchens, you know, that mm. and the Ritz was, was, I mean, I'm a disciple now of Escoffier as well. And I was actually lucky to meet, meet his um, grandson a couple of weeks ago. 
and oh. so it, it's it's really come full circle and it was it was in, i felt honored to be there but starting there was pretty scary i mean leaving a I little bet. seaside town to live in london <clears throat> at the age of 16 and work with all those people was i mean it was definitely a good way to uh uh mature very quickly shall we say yes i bet i bet um that is that is absolutely amazing so who would you say in terms of what you guys do at the pig now who would you say are your sort of bigger biggest influences if any so i think it's i mean i was i was thinking about this the other day because it's quite i suppose everything that we do at the pig is made up of lots of different components and um i would say that mark hicks obviously from Mark, I learned a lot about British produce, about understanding really good quality homegrown um, producers and, and produce. So I think that side of it definitely came from him. We do have elements of traditional cookery, you know, within the, the pig. So we do focus on, you know, the ways we make sauces and the way we prep things and the way we butcher things. So we do look towards the old um, techniques, as it were. We do a lot of in-house butchery, which a lot of places don't do. And the reason why we do that is because we want our food to look a certain way. Um, I would say, you know, Hugh Fernley Witten store, you know, whoever didn't watch that program back in the day, you know, if you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. I mean, mm. the wall kitchen gardens, all that kind of plot to play ethos, which we really do um, thrive upon is, is, has come from that, I suppose, to a certain extent, but that the original kind of philosophy of the pig was to run a country house in the way that it used to run before it became a hotel. So, you know, if you think about the way that uh, an old house back in those, day, those days would have operated, they would have had a forager, they would have had a wall kitchen gardener, they would have had local um, farmers and producers that would have brought those products to the house. They would have reared animals on the um, estate. They would have used game. They probably would have had beehives. So, a lot of the um, components and our food philosophy does stem from looking back in history and working that into modern day um, sort of practices. So I, I would say those are those are our, our, our main kind of influences, I would say, mm. and my own. Yeah. And how does that yeah. say if someone's going to come to the pig for a meal, how would that translate in terms of what they, they were going to experience and eat? So, for example, um, our honey comes from our own bees so this year we we now have over 81 hives across the entire um group we produced last year i think it's 250 kilos of our own honey wow. so you can try that obviously we say that every single dish is touched by the wall kitchen garden so whether it's a main component or an element will come from um from that uh, uh garden at each property um we actually list all of our producers on the back of the menu so any um, dish that you have will have where that food has come from. And you can actually flip the menu over and see where our producers are in relation to the pig. So we have an illustration on the back so that we can actually prove to our guests we actually are doing what we say on the tin. And, and also, um, I suppose that the whole idea of, of, of what we do is that the guests don't just arrive and go and sit in the restaurant. We want them to go to the garden, chat to the gardeners, walk around the sites and see all the different things that we're doing, go to the fruit cages, try not to get too close to the bees, you know, all that, all that sort of fun stuff that, that we enjoy as, as employees. I think, um, you know, we want our guests to understand that hopefully before they sit down so that they can make that connection between our philosophy and the food they're eating on the plate. Mm, that's, that's inspiring. 
Yeah, it's yeah. very, very inspiring. I, I, I absolutely love that. I think um, we've we've touched upon this before in terms of sustainability has become such a buzzword at the moment. I feel like yeah. it's uh, it's got the same sort of buzz that the word vegan had a few years ago, um, and it can be it can be a little bit um, misunderstood. Mm -hmm. um, and both Nikki and I are very, we're very big fans of sort of whole foods. We, we both specialize in plant-based. Uh, we care about where the food comes from. We, we try and follow seasons and, and local produce as much as possible. And I suppose when we started 10 years ago, sort of plant-based was a little bit seen as a fad, but it's definitely here to stay. And I think that's also evolving within the hospitality industry. And how do you feel about that? And uh, and what are your thoughts and and in seeing that that sort of plant based is is taking its space yeah. within the hospitality yeah. industry? Well, I mean, I it's it's an interesting one, and it's quite interesting for me as a chef to sort of see it all evolve. Really, I mean. Bearing in mm. mind, I'm married to an ex-raw foodist. My wife's American and she used to be a raw foodist in California. And it's something that in our family is, is you know, it's pretty standard. We eat meat some days, other days we don't. And it's, it's it, for us as a family, it's never been putting a label on it. It's just about eating sometimes plant-based and sometimes non-plant-based. But I think from, from a, a chef's point of view and from our point of view, um, we sort of recognised... Uh, I think it's about three or four years ago now that, that this was obviously something that, that we should start to sort of look into. And I suppose as a group, we have the luxury of having these most incredible walled gardens. And um, we've always offered uh, plant-based food before it was something that we'd either do on the spot. You know, someone would say I'm plant-based and we'd obviously give them the menu. If they didn't like anything on the menu, we would actually go out to say, what would you like? You know, we can create something for you. We can mm. make it different, all the rest of it. But obviously, as there's become more and more people that are deciding to take a plant-based diet, we've taken the starts on the menu where we've made it an actual selection on the a la carte. So within within our menu, which is a big A3 menu, we have um, piggy bits, we have starters, and then we have six dishes which are literally picked today. And we offer, oh, wow. um, yeah, we offer six dishes that you can have either starter size or main course size, which are from our garden which are completely plant-based we can do them vegetarian or vegan and um pe people yeah it's, it's an inclusive thing and it's something which we've done now for a long time i think it's inclusive it's no longer like there's your little separate menu you know it's right. part of what we do we've yeah. you know we've got the we've got the chefs involved now so there's competitions on who can do the best section on it and and over time it's you know it's no longer about whether you're plant-based or if you eat meat it's about what you want to eat for lunch and that's that's what we want we want our guests to be relaxed in an atmosphere where they know they can come along yes we're called the pig but come on we don't just serve pork and <laughs> and and you know it's it's i think it's it's something which needs to be normalized and something which is somebody's personal choice as it in as it is in the way that if you're at home if you want to eat meat one day great if you want to eat plant-based the next then let's do it i mean what what's you know i don't understand why it has to be this big thing and i i, I like the fact that people can feel relaxed and not have to worry about, you know, what their choices are when they come to our restaurants and they want to have lunch or dinner. Um, you know, moving on from that, the, the meat that we use, you know, we're very focused on the sustainable aspects of that as well. We do the whole cow projects across all sites where we'll buy a whole cow from 
a farmer that's doing really great things within the world of farming. We'll age that and we'll use the entire animal. We won't just use little bits of it and then hope that he minces the rest and sells it on for whatever. So, you know, we, we obviously focus on wild food, on game, on, um, you know, our pork. We rear our own pigs. We have our own herd of deer in Bath. We have our own um, sheep in, in, in pig on the beach. So, you know, we try to sort of make sure that, well, we do make sure that every single um, uh, piece of protein that we use has a story and has a sustainable kind of, um, uh, you know, story behind it that we can stand behind because uh you know there's no point in listing all these amazing producers and then buying it cheap from elsewhere that's not what we're about mm, we're about yeah, really making sure people understand the reasons why we do it just changing the subject a little bit but this is something that we ask all our guests and even more fascinating from your perspective because kind of every day you are literally in the kitchen cooking when you're at home and you've already mentioned that your wife comes from a warm food background and you need to kind of change your, you know, you eat differently every day. If you're going to eat one meal or one type of cuisine for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> uh, you know what? Um, this is one of those questions that I think every single chef in the world struggles with. And um, in, for the rest of my life. Or for yeah, it's hard, year, isn't it? <laughs> we can, we can go for a year. It's hard. Can I say... Does it have to be a specific food or could I just say Italian food? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's no, no, it can be a category. Yeah. It can okay. be a category. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so most recently, um, I, I've fallen back in love with Italy and I never fell out of love, actually. I mean, I should say that. But but um, recently, we've been doing a lot of trips to Italy and um, I've sort of reignited my love with pasta. And it's something that um, I, I used to eat loads of, I used to play around with. Obviously, when I was at Savoy, one of my jobs on the Potage was just to make pasta every morning. So I'd come in early in the morning and I'd have to make 20 different varieties of pasta wow so because of that I sort of fell out of love for a bit you know what it's like when you're constantly making it you sort of get to that stage but um since going back to Italy I've really um reignited that and um I, I'd say my my favorite dish that I had was actually cooked by one of my best mates at Pitcher Nursery which was a white truffle linguine and um Honestly, I, I I shed a little tear when I actually had it because it reminded me of trips to Italy as a child to see my nonna and to see my family out there. But it also, it the balance, the flavour, everything was just absolutely perfect. So I would say at the moment, probably you know different types of pasta, that sort of Italian style. I mean, I would never turn my back on obviously English and French and all the rest of it, everything that I've trained. But at the moment, I'm really enjoying uh, doing that and also getting my kids involved. You know, we're making pasta nice. at home and we're having lots of fun. Um, I would say that my kids at home tend to like my wife's cooking more than me. I don't know why, mm. but it's it's. I think it's potentially because my wife, she's from Arizona, so she does a lot of that Tex-Mex stuff and it's quite interactive, like yeah. nachos with the kids and, you know, tortillas and all that sort of fun stuff that you can build your own food at the table and it's more interactive I think whereas I place down a pretty plate of pasta and they go oh pasta again yeah you know well it's not just pasta actually yeah. this is da, 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 they say great yeah. <laughs> it's like parmesan no I'm right there great yeah. you know yeah. one of those but um it's, it's a tricky one do you have one that's always always goes down well though with your family taco Tuesday Mm, which uh, is, is a very American thing but um yeah my wife like Erica likes to do uh taco Tuesday not not as much as we used to because the kids my, my eldest two are 17 and 14 now so they're running around doing their own Teenagers. thing a bit but yeah we've got a little three-year-old and that's always a firm favorite and um yeah we have a lot of fun with that 
I love that. We do we do Taco Fridays, okay. um, and we do game night afterwards. Wow, um, cool, cool. Which is which is good. Very into our games at the moment. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> no, that's cool. Yeah, we we I think any any sort of food is it that's interactive they like. And um, my daughter Rio is looking to potentially become a chef as well. So we've been doing a lot of cooking together as well, which is quite nice. That's very cool. Yeah, I'm not trying to push it because you know what uh, fathers can be like. When what's you want to be a chef, right? You know, but no, we're just trying to keep it cool and keep see cool. what happens. Exactly. Great. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. So going back to the food industry and how how do you think the food industry is going to change? in the coming years and what challenges and opportunities do you foresee it's a big question but it you're, is, yeah. you're in it yeah i mean uh funnily enough i mean the food industry i mean we've just got three stars across the group with the sra recently and to do that we had to really look into obviously our practices and our sustainability and our sourcing and all the rest of it and and um i think the the, the challenges currently from from what we've been looking at are obviously energy you know, I think yeah. that um, I think that it's it's become a real struggle, obviously, just to operate. Um, mm. We're losing quite a few local producers at the moment because they physically can't afford to pay their bills on energy. Um, I think that uh, we will see a kind of switch from gas and all that kind of lovely stuff to more focused, sustainable methods of uh, of, of usage. I mean. We're obviously looking at the way that we operate. We use um, a company called Athenor, where we don't use a lot of gas. Most of our kitchens are now electric. We look at the way that we um, operate our kitchens, like turning down, you know, extractions and turning off ovens and restricting water and all that sort of fun stuff. Using grey water in the gardens. So I think companies within our industry need to look at the way they operate in order to make sure that they can actually make ends meet. Um, I would say staffing is a massive one. You know, the sustainability of our of our um, of our industry really at the moment is <clears throat> being looked at by how many staff we have, because every single person I talk to with the industry is really struggling with staff. I think that the sustainability of our industry is is kind of at a, a critical point because we don't have the the people coming into it. So I think we need to really look in kitchens as to how well, in, in hotels and ho in restaurants in general, how we treat our staff, how we kind of, um, you know, make them feel that, that they should be happy to be working where they're working. And obviously food costs, you know, food costs have gone through the roof. Butter yeah. is, has tripled in price in the past two years. And mm. that obviously is also double cream and cheese and all the lovely things that are made from that. So um, I think, you know, going back to the future of food, I think we'll see more simple kind of um, hopefully producer and 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 British made produce as something that that people will focus on rather than trying to bring all these ingredients all over from other countries. I think that plant based is a fantastic way to really showcase all the incredible um, uh, uh, plant based dishes that you can have out there. And I think that that's something which obviously is great for the planet, but also good for health and for um, menus. I think that. Um, I think that going back to what I said about whole animal projects, I think people need to really start thinking about the meat that they're eating, you know, not going into supermarkets and buying cheap meat, you know, eat less meat, make sure the meat you're buying is really good quality. You know, where it's come from, it's had a good life and it's been treated with respect. I mean, that's my biggest thing at the moment is to make sure, you know, you don't need to meet every day. You don't need to buy cheap meat so that you can put it into your food at home. You know, think about, 
quality over quantity because there's lots of other things that you can use out there that that doesn't need to be cheap badly produced meat that's packed full of horrible chemicals and and growth hormones and i think that Mm. i think that's what we should be looking at is that the way we're going to go i don't know but um i would hope that that's the way we sort of have to go um i think that the days of um cheap food are, are looking like they're quite coming to an end and i think that um hopefully through education and through people understanding that hopefully people can look and, and really sort of start to take the food they're eating a bit more seriously hopefully making the most out of food planning maybe three meals ahead instead of just buying mm. something cheap you know for one night or or you know going on the older uh, delivery sites and getting fast food i think it's um it's 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 really it could be quite tough i think over the next couple of years but i hope hopefully it's um it's a good uh way to educate people as well yeah I think it's gonna maybe it's gonna probably be a bit of a painful process for most people because it's gonna be very different from the way people have you know consumed and eaten and, and um, food both in the house and in restaurants previously mm. but I, th- I think it's gonna gonna have to happen so if um what would therefore be your um kind of if you had any sort of tips or thoughts about how can people start incorporating more sustainable things practices at home yeah. what would you suggest well, well, I suppose the biggest one is food wastage. I mean, you know, everybody says yeah. that the biggest the biggest problem at home is that everybody does their weekly shop. They buy loads and loads of ingredients, they put them in their fridge, and then by the end of the week, they realise they haven't used half of them and they're chucking them in the bin, all in those little plastic, you know, pouches. And I think that um, what we tend to do at home is we, we plan our meals. So, for example, I mean, uh, on a Sunday, we used to do a roast chicken. Yeah, we'll go and buy a lovely chicken from usually someone like Seed Organic or we'll buy a free range chicken, which is obviously quite hard at the moment because everything's in flop down. But, you know, we'll, we'll buy the, the best chicken that we can possibly buy. And, and from that, we will probably have three meals afterwards. And it's also something that my nanny used to do back in the day. So that roast chicken would go on the table. We'd have our roast dinner, which is lovely. And then the next day, that chicken, all the bones from the chicken would be made into stock. Usually I do a minestrone soup from that the next day. And then all the little bits of, of, of meat that's left over that would go into sandwiches or, you know, roast potatoes would get made into bubble and squeak. And we tend to sort of have three days worth of, of food after that. And it's something that we've always done. And the minestrone soup is is a great meal and I love it. And it really does remind me of, of my childhood food. And um, I th- I suppose it's just really understanding that you shouldn't buy in excess and then not have a plan for that food you know it goes back to what I was saying about hopefully people really understanding that if it goes in the bin that's money you're literally thrown in the bin and yeah this this whole thing about the weekly shop you know I remember back in the day I, mean, I always say this but we used to go to the high street every Saturday we go to all the different we go to the butcher we go to the baker we go to the fish market, we buy the bits that we needed for the week and you know, my mother or my father knew exactly what they were making with that meal. And I suppose through the world of ease or through supermarkets or whatever, it's now and time, you know, nobody seems to have time mm. anymore. It's it's more about going there saying, right, that looks good, I'll have that, and loading a trolley up with loads of food and then obviously going to waste. So my, my biggest thing would be to say, plan your meals. It will take a little bit longer, but you'll get far better results from it. And hopefully you won't be throwing money in the bin with rotten veg at the end of the week and so you know less food wastage better for the planet and um, hopefully better for your pocket as well yeah people seem very nervous about leftovers as well don't they if they've got mm. kind of you know half a meal or a bit of meal yes. or half a pack or half a jar 
I think there's a huge amount of wastage there and people, mm. you know, don't typically or quite often are nervous about using those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, food waste is a big one. I mean, at the, the, uh, at the restaurants, we're quite lucky. We've got composting and we've got all this sort of things. We do a lot of preserving, you know, a lot of our peels go to make vinegars. We do a lot of fermentation. We do a lot of salts, you know, we'll dehydrate things and grind it up and put it into seasoning. So we're very conscious of food waste. It's something that obviously, like I said, it's money, you know, it's money for us. Expensive produce in, you know, expensive food waste out. So as a Mm. business, looking at it from a business point of view, the less food wastes you have, the better it is for your company and the better it is teaching young chefs to understand that, you know, you shouldn't be throwing food in the bin if you can help it. And the last resort is obviously taken away by food waste companies which will then take it and compost it down so we don't just put it into you know landfill or anything like that we've actually banned cling film in the kitchen this week oh, well, actually, wow. no, last week yeah Amazing. so um, yeah that's a biggie a big one big that one and quite hard actually quite yes. hard for a lot of chefs to get them their heads around so we've been looking well we've been doing this now for about five or six months so we've now got all these silicon lids which obviously go over the top of all the containers which you reuse and put them through the dishwasher um we've actually uh, uh we've bought recyclable recycled cling film because there are actually some things that you need like molding and stuff but it's like being a school kid it's kept in the chef's office yeah. you have to go and ask for it yeah um, if you do, you know and there has to be a reason behind it so we won't buy any single use it has to be recycled and um and yeah, it's uh, we're sort of changing the way that we're using um, waste products. We've actually uh, we don't use blue roll anymore. So blue wow. roll, one of our biggest single-use items, we now use white roll, which is made from all office recycled paper products. So it's wow. a company now which is basically uh, taking all of the uh, paper waste from offices and turning it into white roll, and we're using that same format as well. So. Um, the guys, we, we don't allow blue roll to be uh, white roll now. Sorry, to be used in cleaning down. We use uh, recycled rags from a company which basically send us old tea towels and shirts and stuff that's been thrown away to that's then you know obviously cleaned and then sent to us. So all of our clean down methods are now used uh, with those. And um, we, yeah, it's, it's it's been an ongoing thing, but it's it's been really real eye opener for us as a company, and it's actually now starting to, to benefit everybody in the kitchens great that is um i mean those are two massive things that you know if somebody's who is in the food industry is listening is is you know it's a definite change that you can you can do over time and it's huge like cling film in in the corporate kitchen or or in any food and beverage kitchen that's massive yeah it's big yeah yeah that's amazing um absolutely love that and i was also going to say in terms of what you were saying before of uh, food waste at home i think there's a few there's a there's a fantastic app called olio um where you can literally if you're doing a sunday roast for example and you're not likely to have your leftovers you can package those up take a picture of it and within a couple of minutes somebody will come and pick it up wow uh, you can do that with with things. You can do that if you've got extra lemons or if you've got extra tins of food at home. Anything that's surplus and and it's all community based and it's a fantastic app. I use it for shoots and for events and and stuff all the time and for my academies where you just package wow. everything up, take pictures, and then somebody who who needs it will come and pick it up. Um, that's really cool. 
That's really good. That's great, isn't it? Yeah, that's it's really cool. So good. It's really good. Is it? Um, is it just? Is it? Is it nationwide? Or is it? Christina? It's nationwide. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. It's just. It's been such a game changer in terms of, you know, if you're we're a family of three, and sometimes there's just no way we can <laughs> eat the amount of food that comes in or. Uh, I get sent a lot of samples of different foods and obviously I'm going to try one sample but then I've got like a surplus <laughs> surplus box yeah. of, of food lying around which you know I'll give away to friends and family but it's a really good shout um, yeah and That's I don't know but cool. yeah it's really cool I don't know the other thing that I've also noticed is that and I know that I'm in a privileged position to be able to say this, but when I buy things from a farmer's market or if I buy organic, it will last in my fridge for way past a week wow. rather than something that you buy that's in a bag and you sort of, it's all, it's, it's like, you know, the salad leaves and, and herbs is one of the things that go to waste right, right. most along with yeah. bread and potatoes. I think um, mm. it, it just lasts longer. Yeah. Um, and Absolutely. yeah, so, so you, I mean, you end up wasting less. I mean, my my biggest one is is the soups, and and I and I'm one of these people that I love soup. You know, I, I, love, I soup. love Yeah, and it doesn't have to be cold. You know, it doesn't have to be a cold day. You know, I love I love hot soups. I love cold soups. I love I love soups in a way that if I have a lot of veg in the fridge, I will just make soups all day long. And freezing soups is another great way. I think people mm. forget that. A lot of a lot of um, uh, things can be made and then frozen, and that's really important. And it helps with time. We talk about how nobody has time anymore. You know, if you're making, <coughs> excuse me, a big batch of of soup, put half of it in the freezer, and then when the kids yeah. are hungry and you haven't got time, heat it up, get some really great bread, loads of lovely butter, and off you go. Or even the the one thing which um, I always I always moan about is the the shriveled up carrots in the bottom of the fridge because it always seems to I don't keep my carrots in the fridge but mm. other people in our house do and I won't name them other but, people um, <laughs> other people <laughs> but, but, but they always tend to be forgotten in the fridge and and I love I love carrots when they're fresh making them into salads or slaws or soups or yeah. just roasted in the oven with thyme and garlic and things like that and um, I think they're one of the most versatile sort of root veggies that we have but. Um, I, I would always say to people, if you if you buy, bought a lot of root veg and you see them in the bottom of the fridge, just cook them and 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 serve them straight away because uh, that that's what tends to happen. I think is people buy things because they like the look of them and then sort of forget that they're there or think, oh, I'll sort it out tomorrow. So um, yeah, that would be my thing. Turn it into a soup and freeze it. It's the best way. Uh, also, I think you can roast things and turn everything into a dip. Yeah, yeah, and I freeze loads of bread actually. I don't know if that's a good idea, but I'm, I've always got like a really nice loaf of bread. But there's only me in the house, so I could kind of eat half and I'd just yeah. slice it and put it in the, in the in the freezer and then um and then toast it. I think, but that's yeah, that's yeah. So good. yeah. My dad used to do that. My dad used to always keep his bread in the freezer. I suppose he worked away a lot, so it probably would have gone off or gone mouldy quite quickly. But he always had a, a, a loaf of bread in the freezer. I, I know yeah. I know it's really old school, but honestly, with really lovely bread, you can just uh, yeah. yeah just toast it and it comes to life again. <laughs> I I do that if I if I happen to be around an area of London that has a particularly good bakery, I right. will buy a couple of loaves, slice them, and freeze them for sort of a rainy day. 
Um, I also do curries and I call it the sad vegetable curry. It's with the shriveled up little carrots that you've had the best intentions with or whatever else you've bought that sort of come out of the fridge. You gather them around and then you plonk them all into a curry and, and that's it. Edible again. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we used to have waste, not want, not soup when we were kids. Which I think was probably the same thing. Anything left in the fridge, just quickly cook it down, boil it up and blitz it. But um, yeah, that's waste a, not one, not two. That's a really good name of a campaign, actually. Yeah. Should we steal yeah. it? Should we steal him that now? No, no, no. We'll, we'll do that together. <laughs> waste not... What was, it, what was it again? I've got it. <laughs> You'll get an email from my mother now. Oh, God. You don't need yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Joking, yeah. joking. Yeah. Um, so, James, going, um, so in terms of your long-term goals and aspirations, career or personal, what, what, have, what have you got? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, I've been with the pig a very long time now. I was lucky enough to be there from the beginning. So I'm still pushing on. We're doing that. We're looking at lots of different things that are going on in the world of the pig. We're obviously, um, you know, having a lot of fun in the kitchens. We're, we're um, coming into spring now. So, so that's that's our biggest thing, shouting about everything that we're doing at the Pig. We've got our um, music festivals coming up. We've got Smokes and Uncut festivals where I'm doing uh, a pop-up with all of my apprentices. So we have a multi-award winning apprenticeship at the Pig. And um, we, we have, uh, we've had over 220 apprentices through oh. the doors, both back of house and front of house, um, with currently about 80 throughout the group. So I do a field kitchen out there. And um, we cooked for about 400 people whilst listening to, I think, Khalees is playing this year. We've got Gabrielle, um, all sorts of amazing uh, bands coming. So we're, we're doing one at Limewood and one at um, uh, the Pig and Bridge Place. Um, so I'll be doing that. And then basically just doing all the fun stuff. I'm back on Sunday brunch this Sunday, Easter nice. Sunday. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing a bit of that. I, I would like to sort of push that more. I quite like that sort of front facing stuff and, I like all the kind of, you know, chat about what I love to do and what I like to cook. So so I, I'd like to focus on that as well. Um, and then personal life, we, we're just kind of having fun with the family. I've got a three-year-old. So um, family fun. Is, is, is fun <laughs> at the moment. He's learning how to ski. We were, we, we were uh, spending a lot more time in Italy now and um, hopefully spend a bit more time out there so that's long term trying to sort of make sure that I have a good work-life balance which is always nice. a real struggle yeah. I think within you know the world of what we do you know we do sort of get consumed by our work and by um, everything that we have to do for that so um, my focus is trying to sort of make sure I get that good balance because it's very important but yeah that's that's yes. long term and then, um, who knows who knows after that you know yeah. we're, we're, watch this space but yeah Amazing. Love that. Um, yeah. Sounds good to me. So we're moving on to something completely different, um, veering away, but it's still got to do with food and it goes very well with food. Okay. Um, do you like drinking wine? I do. Funnily <laughs> enough, I uh, I do like drinking wine. I was going to say, funny enough, I've got one here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only water, unfortunately. <laughs> I've got to go to the pig in Brockenhurst after this. So, oh. if I was working from home, obviously I'd have yeah. a bottle open. But no, yeah. I'm, I'm joking. That's a joke, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I mean um, wine in general or British wine. I mean, what? what 
Yeah, what are, what, are your, what are your thoughts on wine? Um, obviously, you you like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Um, British wine is a interesting uh, conversation. There's there's some really good wines in in the UK at the moment, and some oh. good um, sparkling ones as well. Yeah. So I mean, wine wine is uh, a big. I mean, yeah, it's a big part of what we do. We we have a vineyard at the Pig in Maidhurst in Sussex. Do and, you? Yeah, so there's that wow. chalk line that runs through Sussex down into Champagne, and it's quite a well-known chalk mm. line, which um, uh, British wine producers jumped on about 10-plus years ago. Mm. And um, uh, so we put in a vineyard. We're in our third year, I think, and I think this year will be the small vintage, and then I think the next year we'll look to um, producing a bigger vintage we have our own pig wine which is produced in tuscany so we have two companies out there um uh, the chowchi family out there produce all of our wine it's a really interesting sustainability story the whole vineyard's run by horse and carts they don't have any machinery um the uh the whole process is is very organic and um it's an incredible place to to be to be making wine so those guys we use their wine and then we have another um, a couple of vineyards that produce our white labelled pig wine. Um, over here, back when we opened the pig at Bridge Place, we, <coughs> excuse me, because we've got the wine garden of England out there in Canterbury and Kent, we decided to give parts of our cellar to British wine producers so that they can keep their vintages at the pig and then they can come and have lunch and they've got everything there for them, people like Simpsons and chapel down and all those sort of amazing guys so um the the british wine uh sort of uh scene was quite big for us when did we open three four years ago now and mm. we've embraced it i mean our one of our head sommeliers uh, luke harbour he's de- developed british wines with um castlewoods down in uh devon and dorset and we we really do promote i think in the same way that we do our food great wine producers all around the world but especially british wine producers because as we know they're winning lots of awards now and and the, i think it's been multiple times now that the blind uh, sparkling wine tasting has been a british producer mm, that's great it's judged by Fantastic. the french and italian and all that yeah so because it's blind they can't say oh no yeah. it's rubbish so you know it, it's purely based on on, on taste so i i'm a big i'm a big uh, uh, supporter we did videos during lockdown with different British wine producers and they do talk on their wine and then I do a couple of dishes during lockdown and oh, nice. the pig and you know it's it's great and I think that um I think the way that unfortunately the climate's going you know the thing which is getting better is the climate for wine and um mm. that's uh that I think we'll see a lot more pop up as well as I think we'll see a lot more well-known French uh, producers buying land in England to produce English mm. champagne, or they, obviously not champagne, but English mm. sparkling. I think that'll be something we'll see a lot of over the next couple of years. That's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah in places like Sussex. Ah, inside information. Well, no, I don't know. I'm just, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> just a guess. Just a but, guess. Yeah. Okay, so sadly, we're very near the end of this um, this podcast session, um, and so this is the the killer question. So, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received, um, and has potentially influenced your career? Um, I think there's a couple. I think I think probably the best piece of advice 
came from multiple people when I was young, you know, because mm. when, when I, you know, if you think back to what I said earlier on, 16 years old, leaving school, going to the Savoy, a lot of my friends were um, having fun. You know, they were going to university, they're taking a year out. They were doing all the things that teenagers did back then when you had a bit of time to think about what you were going to do potentially for the rest of your life. And um, and I, I did struggle a bit with that because 16 is quite a young age to go into, I think, an industry which is, uh, well, at the time was uh, very, very demanding. And, you know, it still is now, but more so back then. And um, the, I think the biggest bit of advice I was I was told, and this was by my parents, by friends, by chefs, by people who, you know, had probably been there and done that, is to, to work as hard as you can now. Because the harder you work now, the better it will be in later life. And and it does seem like a pretty obvious thing to say, but I think within within careers and within life, it's, it's very hard to, to, I think, see the bigger picture or to be yeah, able to understand, you know, where you could be in 20 years or even 30 years. And, and I would say that that was something that really stuck with me. And um, every day I'd, I'd try and work that little bit better or learn a little bit more from the day before and 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 really apply that to my to my career and so for me it would be work as hard as you can when you're younger and and, and try and do as well as you can when you're older so but but from a chef from a food point of view the best piece of advice I've, I've ever had was probably from my wife my wife Erica when we were talking about you know this was years ago even before the pig when mm. she was was still um in that sort of stage where she was focusing a lot on plant-based and we had a discussion about the importance of knowing where your food comes from and understanding yeah. why you should eat because what you eat is what goes into your body which is you know which makes you up you know you should eat good quality foods to to have have good health and and hopefully you know feeds your mind and feeds your body so you know that would be the other great advice is you are what you eat so if you can eat the best and source the best food then hopefully you'll have better health and, and better kind of life moving on so that that's another amazing bit of advice mm. i'd say but and both investments aren't they really yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah you only get one life you know it's not that long so you know try and uh try, try and um you know make sure that your your work-life balance works out and that you uh, eat the best that you can because i think that uh it's, it's quite easy to, to eat a lot of rubbish and to not really understand the benefits of food. And so, you know, if, if you can do that, I think it's uh, it's the best bit of advice I can give to anybody, really. I totally oh. agree. It's really good yep. advice. Great. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, James. Thank Amazing. you so Thank much. You. Yeah. Um, lots of really good sort of golden nuggets of knowledge in there, I think. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so Thanks. much for your time. Very, very inspiring. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Um, it's, it's really great to see you both. And um, yeah, hopefully see you soon. Yay. Yes, definitely. Cool. Take care. Enjoy the sunshine. Thank you so much for listening to What For Catcher. I hope you enjoyed our food conversations and please do have a listen to the rest of the episodes to hear more brilliant stories about everything and anything to do with food. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Stonely Wines, premium wine from Marlborough, New Zealand. It is made from 100% sustainably sourced grapes and is vegan certified. And use our exclusive discount code for 20% off Stonely Sauvignon Blanc exclusively on Amazon using the code STONELY20. And please do give us a five-star rating if you've enjoyed the podcast. 
It really does help to spread the word. And if you want to follow Bettina and myself, you can find us on Instagram at Bettina's Kitchen and Rebel Recipes. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back soon. Bye.